You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Hebrews 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled." That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. And now turn with me to Micah chapter 7. And we'll read the whole chapter. Micah 7. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are not what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul." Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and excuses judgment for me. He will bring me out of the light Out to the light, I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see, and shame will come over her, who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down, like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundaries shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you, from Assyria and the cities of Egypt. And from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, and flock 
and the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them get graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you come out from the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Ryan Lanius. I'm one of our elders here, um, and uh, it's a joy to be able to preach to you in Micah 7 this morning. Um, I'm not the usual guy who's up here. Brian Brown will be back next week as we uh, get back into Samuel. But for today, we're going to finish up Micah. So let me pray for us, and we'll dive in. God, I pray that your word uh, would be enriching to our bones this morning. Uh, It would be by this that we receive the words of life. You, you promise that that's so. You promise that in this being the high point of every Sunday that we get to hear your words and we get to receive them. We get to receive your loving kindness and your grace to us. So I pray uh, this morning that you would, you would build up people in this room, that those uh, who need to be brought to their knees in fear and trembling, and re- repentance and faith, I pray that you bring that. And for those needing to be encouraged in the faith, I pray that you would encourage them as well. pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. So the question this morning, as we get into Micah 7, that I'll pose for us, is what kind of people will we be when we're cast into the dust? Will we be a people who bear God's indignation? Or will we be a people who are numbered with those who lack understanding? who are fools. The message of Micah that's been communicated throughout uh, these last six weeks has been, um, it's gone through three cycles. And in each of those cycles, it's first come with a warning, second come with judgment, and third is come with consolation. In this last section, uh, it's both continuing section of judgment from Micah 6, and it's also consolation for Judah. Her leaders, they've disregarded God's law, and now, as a result, God has promised to decimate them. And Micah knows that they are bound for Babylon. So the importance of this message for us this morning, um, both from the book of Micah and the Testament of Scripture altogether, it is that God, he does provide deliverance, but at times God's discipline is a means of deliverance. 
For the remnant of Judah, that is the case here. And also, it's also true for us in the Christian life. There are times where God disciplines his children. A good shepherd wields his staff for our good. If you have never been a shepherd, what does a shepherd use his staff for? Um, He often uses it to discipline his sheep. The foreseeable problem throughout this book, it's been communicated by the taunts of the wicked. We're going to see that again in verse 10. Where is the Lord your God? Those are the taunts that the wicked are giving to Judah as it appears that God has abandoned them. But nonetheless, God God promised, he promised that he would be their God and that he would hold to his promises. So Micah 7, for us, it shows us that God is not only glorified despite the darkness, but in the very midst of the darkness. In the darkness, God will be glorified. So, um, as we get into this, in the first seven verses, I'm going to break this up into three-ish sections, if you follow with me. Um, The first section is one, um, it's an antithetical State of the Union address. Um, So one State of the Union address has been given by false leaders. Uh, We saw that in Micah 3 earlier in the book. Um, They said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And Micah, on, on the contrary, lays out sobering grievances for all mankind. Recall um, God's promise in Micah 6, where he, he says, through the last handful of verses, that he will destroy the wicked. When you hear of a tragedy like this from a distant country, it does sound tragic. But then when that news comes to your own front door, when it is amongst your own people, That news hits all the harder. And that's true for Micah here. The harvest, verse 1, Micah 7, 1. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. So Micah grieves a non-existent harvest. There's no good fruit coming back from his hard words. And these are hard words. And there, that, that, that news was true for Micah, but it's also true for us. Micah saw that news and it hit home for him because it, hit, it was, happened so close. And that's also true for us when that's happening in our own nation, in our own city. We too are plummeting to this reality in our own nation. We live in a culture that is marked more and more by consumption with one's own desires, and that's not, it's not a good thing. Culture that's marked by consumption with their own desires and without any concern for what God says. So when a people don't look to be led by those who are going to triumph the truth, truth, when God's precepts sound like a a nicety that you can have as long as you hold it in private use, that is when you know that paganism is actually what's reigning the day. What does that look like in our own day? In our own day, that looks like those who have the most classes of oppression need to be raised up. Those um, 
you need to use my pronouns. It's proper to grieve this kind of place. And that's, that's happening in, in some minor ways here in our own country, and it's happening in much major ways in other countries. Evil overruns um, what, what Micah describes here in this uh, first few verses, verses 2 through 6. If, if you um, have closed your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open back, them back up. Um, contrary to, to what's happening in this first verse where he says, I... All these verses 2 through 6 are about each, every, all of them. The godly has perished from the earth. There is no one upright. So there's this emphatic use of all, and that's found specifically in both the highest places, and it's also found in the nearest places to everyone in Judah. So this emphatic use of all, first we see that in When Micah gives specific examples, in verse 3 he says, Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. And the great man utters the evil desire of his own soul. So we see here government officials. They're doing evil with both hands. So that's not just um, under the table, on the side. Government official somewhere in the southwest corner of Denver is doing evil. Um, It's talking about with both hands, above the table. Their their hands are eager to do what is evil. And the judge asks for a bribe. Everybody knows how this works. Everyone in those high places, they know that they can work this together. The great man utters the evil desires of his own soul. He's not afraid to say his own desires, and live by his own desires. And when we see that in the Bible, you see someone living by their own desires, just see that as a bad thing. If we all, um, everyone in the government's living by their own desires, that's, that's a bad thing. And then you see in the end of verse 3, thus they weave it together. So take those three examples of, of evil men, um, and, and they're weaving it together. So, so not only are they doing it individually, the whole system is oppressive to its people. The best of them, verse 4, the best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them, a thorn hedge. So they're, they're, they're fruitless, or it's really bad fruit, you're getting thorns, and they hurt. They will hurt everyone who comes across their path. They will hurt those that they are representing. The day um, that the pro- that the watchmen, you see that in the end of verse 4, the day of the watchmen, that's referring to the prophets that have been warning of this coming day. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come. And who's affected by this day? It, it comes both upon the wicked and the righteous. Verse 6 goes on to say, um, the son treats the father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the men of his own house. So there's no trust. And that, um, those words that we just read should sound familiar from the New Testament. What Jesus does, he, he cites this. 
And he says um, that that is something, let me turn there for, for just a brief moment. So anytime that Jesus is referencing the Old Testament, um, he often helps us understand what it means. So in Matthew 10, the verses I just read then followed by um, him saying in Matthew 30, 10, 36, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So near and far, um, there's, we're seeing a society that is fixed on, on plummeting away from an acknowledgement of God and his laws. And it will bring everyone, both the Christian and the non-Christian, into deep despair. It is, um, it's good and right to grieve these things. Despair over the chaos that ensues in our world today is good and right. So even if Micah um, found himself completely isolated and alone in abiding in God's law, what he says then in the end of Micah 7 uh, of this little section, Micah 7.7, 7, is that as for me, I will look to the Lord. So contrary to the apparent despair of everything, a Christian family, um, it doesn't find its comfort in the, the appearance of things. We wait upon God alone. And were everything to be taken from you, as the remaining comforts were about to be taken from Micah, as he was about to be exported to Babylon, ask yourself this, who is your God? I, I get a newsletter um, in my inbox each month. It's called Standing in the Gap. If anybody wants me to uh, connect you to it after, I, I can. Um, but it, it tells of, of Christians in different countries who are experiencing um, immense oppression. In the Philippines last month, there were four individuals who were killed and 54 injured in a bombing from an Islamic terrorist group. And they were all Christians gathering for church. In Sudan, a Muslim named Ahmed came to Christ last month and he started a home church. He fled from his own family who sought to kill him for his faith. There are many cases in China right now where there are Christians who are going to prison for years just to get Bibles to people. They weave it together. What we're seeing here in Micah 7, uh, Micah 7 is seen in our world today. There are many cases of it. And what do the Christians do in the midst of it? They find that they are rejoicing. You can see Hebrews 11 for another hall of fame of such people. So Micah, he only saw a shadow of a hope. The state of the union, from his perspective, um, was very dark. But it's also something that's intended to draw us to himself. It's something that's intended for drawing us to God in dark times. And so it begs the question, as we draw near to God in such times, will God care? Will he care for those who remain faithful? 
What Micah does in the rest of Micah 7 is he arms Judah with words for dark places. Read with me verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Even as we are, are cast into darkness, even as we're bound for Babylon, we have light. If your family has disowned you, when government officials have called what is yours their own, if your neighbor hates you and works to cancel you, there is hope. But our hope is it's not just welling up from fuzzy feelings of, well, after this year, he's just going to turn that around. Uh, Beware enemies of Christ. Our hope, even when, when we sit in darkness, is that the court of law is the Lord's. We saw it earlier in the book of Micah, and we see it here again in verse 9, um, which we'll get more into in a moment. It, it, it come, brings us back to this legal language of a courtroom. And there is a day, there is a day that God will expand the boundaries of Israel. I'm first going to talk about that day in terms of what God will do to his enemies, And then, what God will do in regards of our sin. That he might be just. So since the beginning of our our world, um, when when God talks about expanding the boundaries of his people throughout scripture, we see that the expectation of that in the, the mandate for Adam and Eve, Genesis 2, we see that as Israel um, colonizes the promised land, we see that as in places like here, the boundaries are extended for Israel. He has been preparing a land for us to dwell in and for him to dwell with us. So it's really true. The enemy may taunt you and rejoice over you now. Satan may shout over you with glee on the occasion that he could trick you into believing as a Christian that you are condemned in your sin. The godless in both Babylon and Judah taunt us, saying, where is the Lord your God? The world and the devil may take everything from you. The world and the devil may take everything from you, and that yet they can take nothing from you. It can take away your wealth, can dissuade you from Christian values by means of DEI training and such things. Um, It can pressure you to bend the knee to its desires or lose your job. Your own neighbor, your own friend or a family member can try try and make a real mess of your family, a, a real mess of your life because you're a Christian. But it takes Nothing from you in the truest sense in that God is the ruler of all of it. Not one thing is theirs. It is all his. In the words of Psalm 2, remember that God laughs at the wicked from his throne. Verses uh, 10 and 16, they tell us plainly that those who don't turn to God and his law, all those who taunt the godly will face... um, 
I'm going to read these two, two verses because I think it's important you see it. Then my enemy, verse 10, will see, and shame will cover her, who said to me, where is the Lord your God? In verse 16, the nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. So that they shall lay their hands on their mouths, their ears shall be deaf. So there is a, a, a day in which, this is the day in which shame will cover them and they will be trampled down. So all those who spent their lives mustering all of their own strength, their own name, their own possessions, their own power, their own reign, will lay their hands on their mouths. In terror, princes, judges, great men of influence, your godless neighbors, your godless friends, your own family. The kind of fear that is best described here as terror. It's not a kind of fear where, oh, everyone's going to to come to him and, and see it right. Shame on those in the church who shy away from from actually being willing to say such words that are in the Bible. Because that is a real day that's coming. And it should cause us to be people, to be watchmen, proclaimers of that coming day. Verse 15, it promises marvelous things. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. What are those marvelous things? Uh, What did God show in Egypt in a marvelous way? He, He did plagues. And he cast every one of the Egyptian soldiers into the sea. When they looked back at the Red Sea that they just walked through, when Israel looked back at the Red Sea, having been delivered from their enemies, they witnessed God casting every single one of them into the sea. Not one remained. Picture um, Moses' grandchild here. Um, Back in Moses' day and, and also here for the people of Judah, the grandchildren of Moses saying, tell it again, Papa. Tell us how he delivered you from the Egyptians. Is it really true? Yes, God really did it. And will he do it again? What he's saying here is he promises to do it again. In the midst of darkness. So God's enemies, they they mock his people because they interpret God's discipline as God's abandonment or his lack of existence. But they do this because they don't understand God's ways. Um, when, a, when a parent disciplines their own child, it's because they're raising them to be a faithful Ehrlich. It's because they're raising them to be a trustworthy Crossland. Yet God's discipline, it, it's not as simplistic as our own mind. Our own minds can be with discipline. There is much more to God than his hatred of sin. When you look at your sin, what do you see? Were you numbered with your enemies, your sin would, it would condemn you today. Rightfully so. The difference between those who, keep, who God keeps 
and those who God leaves to their own desires, to their own condemnation, what is it? It comes down to what is heard when God examines you for your sin. We confessed our sins today. Um, and our sins from this week, they, they bear natural consequences. Um, the discipline of the Lord is a kindness for us in those things. Sin, uh, that is what brings the greatest darkness to our own doorsteps. That is what brings the greatest darkness into our own lives. But here is a, is a baffling thing. You screwed up this week. And your life didn't wield the kind of godly fruit that it needed to. So what should you do? Well, God hates your sin. And were God to express his discipline on you because of the sin that remains in you, we're to receive it. Uh, Look at that with verse 9. We need to receive it. We need to bear the indignation of the Lord. So do you bear the Father's indignation when it comes? Uh, The God of the universe, he determines the means by which he will save his people. All the darkness in your life today are a means They are a means by which God will deliver you from your enemies and deliver you from yourself. So we need a people who read these words and upon hearing it, now I I want to be be clear here, uh, to receive the Lord's indignation doesn't mean every, every time that you're suffering is a direct consequence of your sin because sometimes we also just suffer as Christians. And we live in a broken world. But when, we need, we need to always examine ourselves, when we do, as Micah does here, and we, we see that we um, have sinned, if we have one ounce of passivity, one ounce of, of having encouraged godlessness in our surrounding relationships and our own family, We need to determine right now to receive these teaching moments. These difficult lessons from our own wrongdoing. So renew your courage today by living with God's law as the backbone for your life. The difference on this day that is spoken of here in Micah 7, um, it comes in verse 9 where he both bears his indignation, but then also in, in the latter part, that beautiful word, until. Until he pleads my cause. In the courtrooms of God, God takes away, he, he takes up your case. Both concerning your own sin and your enemies. God Pleads your cause. This is representative. Um, there, sorry, there is a representative in the courtroom that will execute judgment on behalf of his own children and against all of their enemies. The authority that God's children will one day have with this kind of representative, and, and I'm specifically talking about in 
before their enemies. God's children will one day have authority that is higher than the angels. Not only that, uh, your enemies, they'll be in fear of you. So do you stand in this world with the belief that that is so? Not, not for your own desires. As Micah already makes clear earlier. Um, how could Denver see the light of God, the authority of God, if we actually believed this? Stop fearing the world. Do not worry about what they can take from you. God's church has flourished and your children, if they hold to Christ, they will flourish. Micah's name, in, in, it's referenced here at the end of the book and it's, you could easily overlook it. But in verse 18 says, who is a God like you? That is the, actually the meaning of Micah's name. Who is a God like you? Verses uh, 18 and through 20, they conclude with just uncontainable glory for us. Because this is the pinnacle of Micah's message. The taunts of the enemies, they're, they're answered. And in complete contrast to where Micah starts this book, with the fury of God's wrath, what he does here is he shows the endless streams of God's mercy. While we sit in darkness that has been from our own making in a nation, the God who created you loves to pardon iniquity. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? What kind of God is this? Who who could think up such a God? How could a God, how could a good God overlook the deceit and folly of his own people? And what's the most amazing thing about this closing section is how he answers that question. What kind of God would do this? The very last little, little bit there of verse 18 says, because he delights in steadfast love. Because he delights in steadfast love. He loves to pardon iniquity. This is the kind of God who loves to carry away the iniquity of those who look to him in their own self-created darkness. Have you forgotten the riches of God's mercy towards you today? Has this time of your life felt like it's just too deep a shade of suffering for God to penetrate? Micah has a word for you today. It's just hold on to these four words today. He delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. So do you feel condemned today? Look at the scene that Micah drew to the minds of Judah. As they were preparing to go out into exile, look back at the Red Sea. Just as God cast every single one of those Egyptians into the sea, he cast every one of your sins. If you don't believe me, like look in, look in verse 19. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of a sea. I don't think it's a 
a coincidence that he uses that same language. He casts every one of your sins into the depths of the sea. And that vivid picture, those enemies, that is the same desolation that God promises to make of your own sin at Calvary. He, he already did make it. In our stead, what, what did Christ say? He said, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Micah and Judah were not forsaken because Christ was forsaken. You are not forsaken because Christ was forsaken. And upon his shoulders, God slaughtered all of our sin. And he, ever, he forever freed you from it so that you would have life in his spirit. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, would you just um, take a moment, and not even just now, but consider church history and what's happened in the last 2,000 years. And look at God, how he's brought light and radical change to our world through his church. The church is a beacon of hope. Look at the problem of evil in our world. It has to be dealt with somewhere. And it is dealt with in God's court of law. The sin of the whole world will be dealt with. And God, he's expanding the borders of Israel. And that's not just so that we all have these big mansions. Sorry, Christians. Not, it's not just about having big mansions. Um, no, verse 12, what it says is that he's going to expand it. And, and who's going to come in? From Assyria and the cities of Egypt. From Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. God welcomes you. He welcomes you into the fold on this day. But it will require that you die to yourself. It will require that you hate your own sin. For all those who come to him, he vindicates us and frees us from our own slavery. And, and he ends, Micah ends this book with verse 20. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God has held to his promises and he will hold to his promises for Abraham and for Jacob. When God says something, he, he doesn't lie. Even when they march off to Babylon, as Judah was about to do, God promises that he will bring his church home. Today, if you feel laid low, would you take heart and learn to say with Micah, the Lord will be my light. And why does he do it? He does it because that's the kind of God that created this world. That is the kind of God that delights to do it. Would you pray with me as we prepare for communion?